in a sermon series, and we this is maybe the third week for it, and uh, we're talking about choosing our future. And for those that are visiting with us today, that may look kind of weird to you, okay? Um, while we obviously don't choose everything about our future, there are some general principles that can really guide our future. I may pull out of here today and somebody may cut in front of me on 2nd Street and I may have an accident. I didn't choose that. There are things that happen to us that we are not expecting and that we didn't create. But I also always have the choice on how I deal with that. I could get a cancer diagnosis tomorrow. And my life may be cut short, but I can uh, have a choice on how I want to deal with the future that I have left, whether that be short or whether that be long. Uh, Much about my future that I uh, create myself. I learned of a family this week that is uh, in their 70s and having financial difficulty and one of the reasons they're having financial difficulty is because they, they have not saved. And so you can say that that family has chosen their future because they chose to spend it on fifty and $60,000 vehicles and really nice vacations and nothing wrong with any of that unless it's at the expense of something else. I, I, I choose, I'm choosing right now and have chose for several years on what type of retirement I will have by the type of money that I've put away and the type of lifestyle we've chosen now. And there's gobs of examples for all of that. We choose much of our future from 2024 on. Leonard Sweet is an author and a theologian that I read from quite often, and he's quoted as saying this, the future is not something we enter, it is something that we create. And that's the premise behind this. Now, that's not a 100% 100% um, promise that, that I'm going to create every bit of my future, but it's an overarching thing. It's like I was writing a devotion this week on Proverbs 22, 6, raise up a child and the way he should go, in the end he will not depart from us. That's not a promise, that's just a principle that is there. And largely, that if you raise up a child in the way he should go, largely he will not depart from from that. There's, that's not a foolproof. You've all got examples right, right now that you could stand up and talk about. But, but that's a principle that's true about parenting. We, we, we choose many th- t- things that happen in our future by what we do now. Tomorrow is dependent upon today in many ways. And so we've been looking in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and some choices that Moses made about his future. And obviously we're not going to make the same choices that Moses made, but we are going to, um, can use those principles and see those choices, see how they applied to our life. I think I failed to, to note that if you're visiting with us today, I've got some devotions. I've written four of these yearly devotions and these are yours. There's some back in the back as they get out. Somebody asked me today which one's the best one, and I pointed to the last one because I've gotten better as I've gone along. So I pity you all that had to read this one, okay? But um, please make available to those that, uh, if you're visiting with us uh, today, and we also welcome those that are watching on 
YouTube or Facebook and look forward to you being in the sanctuary as soon as you can. We want to start today by just re- taking a few minutes to review. We said last week or two weeks ago in Hebrews eleven twenty four by faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I know the story of Moses. He was a Hebrew and he was a Jew and his uh, two parents uh, loved him enough that they um, kind of put him up for adoption because Egyptian people were killing all the little Hebrew boys and so they floated him in a river and Pharaoh's daughters found him and took him and raised him in the Egyptian royalty and he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and we said one choice that you can make that helps determine 2024 and all the rest of the 2024s of your life is that you choose not to allow other people to define you. You choose not to allow other people to define you. Moses knew who he was. He was of the Hebrew people. He was a person of God. And he said, I'm not going to let the Pharaoh and uh, Pharaoh's daughter define me. Egyptian royalty, Egyptian pleasures define me. I'm going to not allow other people define me. I know who I am. Very little that's as important in the Christian life than understanding who you are. Now the world tells the world tells you women, the world tells you, the world tells you um, you're beautiful. Well, that's okay if you are, but that's not your identity. It's okay if you're beautiful. Some of you are beautiful, and some of you, you know, whatever, you know. not your identity because you know why your beauty will fade then who are you I guess someone that goes under the plastic surgeon's knife then I guess Bible tells you that who you are and your first and adopted son or daughter of the living God that has everything to do with your Christian life because identity determines behavior Identity determines behavior. How many of you have heard me tell this story about myself that proves identity determined behavior? Because the first beer I ever drank at 17 was in the back seat in a 1967 Chevrolet Malibu with Chuck Mattingly and Philip Hampton who wanted me to drink that beer. And I was too cool not to let them think I was, wasn't cool enough to drink that beer. So my identity in them determined my behavior. And this week, some little... 16 or 17-year-old girl lost her virginity in the Dayton area because our identity was in that older guy. Identity determines behavior. Don't let other people define you. It's an unbelievably important choice that you can make. That you can make. And there's a lot I could say there, but i got to move on. Hebrews 11.25 The next verse that we spoke on last week, he, that's Moses, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to be mistreated. Egyptians were, uh, Hebrews were slaves to the Egyptians at that time. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And we said, hey man, let's be honest, sin's pleasurable, but those, 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 
that those pleasures are fleeting. They have consequences to them. And so what we said Moses did here is he chose short-term pain for long-term gain. And we've heard that in our life, and we've heard that principle is a secular principle, but it's a biblical principle all the way through. We said faith is all about delayed gratification. And we spent a lot of time on that last, last week, that faith is all about delayed gratification. If you're a person that's got to have it here and now, the Christian life is not for you. Because the Christian life is about exchanging some short-term pain for long-term gain. And we spent 40 minutes talking about that next week. And if you weren't here and want to check that out, it's on the internet. Go back to 25 again, if you would, Amy. And that verse says, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26 says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to long-term gain. He was looking ahead to long-term gain. Now, the world tells you that you only live once. Go for the gusto. The truth is you live twice. And you're going to live here for 80 years or so, and you're going to live when we've been there 10,000 years. We've no less days to sing God's praise. Well, how's that work, Mark? I don't know. Don't ask me that. How am I supposed to know that? It's an unbelievably important principle of life. That's a biblical principle that I can't go for short-term gain. I must exchange short-term pain for long-term gain. It's true in all walks of life. Now, verse 26 is, we're going to stay here, and it's our verse for today as well, even though we alluded to it last week. The text says that Moses regarded, some translations will say chose, some translations will say considered. The word regarded, if you look it up in the Hebrew, and any of you can do that right now, put in Hebrews 11.26, put in the word interlinear. I-N-T-E-R-L-I-N-E-A-R, and then you'll get the verse and the Hebrew words, and you can click on each Hebrew word, and it tells you what it means. Regard means to consider. It means to think about. It means to make a deliberate choice. It means to weigh the pros and cons and make an informed decision about something. It says Moses did that, and he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value, as of greater value than the treasures of living in the Egyptian palace. So he, he, he said one thing is of greater value than the other thing. And he considered it, he thought about it, he weighed it over in his head, he turned it over, he didn't just make a quick uninformed choice, he considered it. And he chose one thing that was of greater value than another thing was. So what's one thing you can do to choice that you can make for your futures and 
2024 year is you can choose what God values instead of what the world values. What does the world value? Stay in that palace, man. I don't know if Moses sought any advice or this at all, but if he sought any advice from the people who lived in the palace, they would have said to him, you're crazy, man. Why do you want to identify these people who are slaves? You stay right here, man. But the text clearly says he valued more disgrace for the sake of Christ than he did for all the treasures that he could find in the Egyptian palace. So what's the choice that Moses made and that we can make is we choose to value what God values instead of what the world values. And they're two completely different things. The world values fame. The world values fortune. The world values status. I had so much respect this morning for Josh Seabolt who was on the back row here today. That told me a lot about him. See, I know some worship leaders that wouldn't be on the back row. They have to be on the front row. The world tells you you need to have your spotlight on you. The world tells you you need to have prestige, you need to have position in life. But I was so have so much respect for Josh this morning because... He was the back row leader. Now, everybody on this stage knows who's in charge. But see, he didn't have to go show everybody he was in charge. I have so much respect for leaders who, who don't have to show that people that they're in charge. But the world tells you you've got to do that. The world says in, in, in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world. That means the system of the world. That means the way the world thinks. Do not love the world or anything that's in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that's in the world, the lust. Now, we, we think of that word as a sexual way. That word just means desire. The desires of the flesh, the, the desires of the eyes, the, the pride of life, that doesn't come from God. That's what the world screams at you. The desires that for to flesh and to please yourself and, and to leave, live for the fleeting pleasures of sin, the desire of what you see and, and go ahead and get what you want no matter if you can afford it or not or no matter on what shape it's going to put your uh, uh, future retirement in, just get the lust of the eyes, what you want, and you want it now, short-term gain. Eventually gives you long-term pain. And the pride of life, status, status. I bet I get more likes on Facebook than you do. I think I'll post a new selfie this week. Maybe somebody tell me I'm hot. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Don't you think I'm hot? I'm the hottest pastor in this district. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Hope that was a girl that did that. The world tells you to go after the lust of the eyes and what you see. Lust of the flesh, the pride of life. God doesn't value that. God doesn't value that. So one choice I can make and one choice you can make is for the rest of the 2024s of your life is to choose what God values and not what the world values. Now, I could spend 
I could spend the rest of the year talking about what God values. Literally on every page of this book, I don't know how many pages are in here, there's something I could say that God values. But I can boil that down to a quick summary if we look at the Ten Commandments. Now that doesn't mean that's not all that God values, but in a short little list there, that's probably pretty succinct there of what God values. And I, have to, I, I need to value what God values. And the Ten Commandments, the first commandment tells me that God values my faithfulness to him. Exodus 20, verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. That God values my faithfulness to him. The second commandment says that God values the way I worship him. Now, the way I worship him doesn't mean Sunday morning. It could mean Sunday morning, but it doesn't mean Sunday morning. Because if I only worship God on this one hour of Sunday morning, I ain't getting much worship done. Worship is about the way we live. God values the way we worship him. The second commandment says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. And I'll flesh that out for you in a second. God values the way we worship. God values that very much. And because God values it, I should value it. If I value what God values, then I'm making really good choices that will determine and help create my future. Instead of just me entering into my future or walking into my future and wondering what my future holds, I can make good choices that will determine in a large extent, not 100%, but a large extent, determine my future. The third commandment says God values his reputation. You should not misuse. Probably a better translation than we have in some of the older translations. Not that those were horrible translations, but as, pe- as we have new translations of the Bible, people have learned more about the Hebrew language, and we have more resources. And so serious people are, are, are doing a better job, not because these people didn't try to do a good job, it's because there's so much more resources and we've learned so much more. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name unbelievably important only commandment that says God won't, will not hold anyone guiltless and I'll flesh that out has almost nothing to do with cussing and, fi- and I'm going to skip the fourth commandment because that's the Sabbath commandment it's not repeated in the New Testament now I think there's some application for that in the New Testament but not in an Old Testament way it's the only commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament so I'm going to skip the fourth commandment go on to the fifth. It says God values authority. He values that very much. So he tells us to honor your father and mother. And this is a commandment that comes with a promise. So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now give me a few minutes just to flesh those four. I can't teach you those four, but I can give you some highlights of those six seven years ago I preached a series on these and you can go back and it's fascinating when you dig into these commandments what's actually there but can I tell you this morning that because God values our faithfulness to him we choose to worship him and him alone first commandment because God values our faithfulness to him now when God says don't worship any other gods he's not acknowledging that there are other gods he's just saying there are things in our life that appear to be other gods 
doesn't pleasure, doesn't pleasure cry out to you and says, I want to be your God? Doesn't that happen? Don't other people, and trying to please other people, doesn't that cry out sometimes to you? And, and these temptation to let other people and what they think of you be your God. Gods of position, status, influence, look at me. Gods of prosperity, American dream, getting all you can. Those are not real gods, but there's gods that the enemy will tempt you with. And many times we serve those gods in such a way. First commandment says you serve God and you serve God alone. You worship God and you worship God alone. It is the hardest commandment to keep. No question. Not even close. Because every one of us in here knows how hard it is to keep the main thing the main thing. Everyone in here knows how hard it is to keep our priorities straight in our life. We know our priorities. If I'm going to take a test, I can list my priorities, and I would list them correctly. But as I review my life and review the choices that I make, did I make choices that align with what I said my priorities are? Levi was home last night and he's got a lot going on and and he's kind of stressed there's not enough hours in the day to get everything done that he wants to to do and we just start talking about priorities there's a lot of things you want to do and they're not bad things but it's not a priority so three or four guys making a run to the Shell Station in Cedarville when I got a test to study for is not the best choice. It's about priorities. All of it's about priorities. All of it is. All of life is about priorities. Choosing not just the good. There's a lot of good, but choosing the best. We, we, we many times are enslaved to good things and we miss the best things. And all that's a first commandment thing. And God says, you, 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 you keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus said it this way. Pretty much it's a repeat of the first commandment in the way Jesus said it. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you as well. All these other things, good things, other, other things that in your life that are priorities, but somewhere down the list on all of that. Seek first. There's no question. First commandment. It's the hardest commandment to keep because I have to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the world screams about me of other priorities that I have in life. 
How do we make good decisions that affect our future? Well, I value what God values. And God values my faithfulness to him and says, if I will put him first, then all these other things are going to be added to you. All, all, all these other things that you desire, not that they're bad things, they'll be added to you if you get in order. Second commandment says, because God values the way we worship, I choose not to reduce him or redefine him. Can I tell you that creating an image of God is more about than what we probably think about that in biblical times that they made a statue and worshipped other gods. We don't do that now in our society today. But how do I create an image of him that is not who he is? And it's by not worshipping the biblical God. It's by redefining the biblical God or reducing the biblical God. God has chosen to Define himself. And there's a whole lot he's left out. But he says, Mark, this is enough to keep you busy for the rest of your life. This is the way God has chosen to define himself. But you'll hear a lot of people that will redefine him. Well, I think that God will be careful what comes next. It's great if it's biblical. If it's not, then you just, you've, you've reimagined him. The United Methodist Church about 15 years ago had a conference that they were dared to be able to title Reimagining God. They, t- they titled it in violation of the second commandment. Reimagining God. And you wonder today, why the United Methodist Church is in the shape that it's in. And if you live long enough, you will see an impotent United Methodist Church. And you'll see a strong global Methodist Church that people who have split off from the UMC. And why? Because they wanted to reimagine God. And they served communion at that conference with milk and cookies. kind of gall do you have to have to title a commandment that's in violation title a conference that's in violation of the second commandment how deluded do you have to be how deceived do you have to be second commandment says God says hey I've, I've defined myself now don't change it Don't add anything to it. Don't leave anything out. Well, I think, well, the God, the God I worship. I was scrolling Facebook last night. And there was this girl who does pornography. And she was being interviewed and she had a cross on. And the guy says, why do you have that cross on? She says, well, it doesn't really mean anything to me. 
And, but then later on she goes, well, God loves me. I'm a Christian. God loves me. She does OnlyFans. And some of you don't know what that means, and that's good that you don't. God loves me. I do pornography. My God is okay with me doing pornography. What world do we live in, friend? That's a direct violation of the third commandment. She's created a God in her own image. She's redefined him. She's reduced him. Some people's God is only a judge. They just, they just see him as a judge. He's just up there in the sky. He's got his holy baseball bat, and he's just ready for you to get out of line because he's going to knock you out. That's some people's God. Now, he's got a judge. Of course, he's a judge. But you have drastically reduced him if he's only a judge. What a horrible sin to commit if you reduce God. What a horrible sin to commit if you reduce God to a judge only. Some people's God is a God of love only. You know, at 65 years old, I'm just struggling with this God of love stuff. And the reason I'm struggling is because the world defines love in a completely different way than the Bible does. So when we talk about the love of God, then we can go on OnlyFans and God still loves me and is okay with that. Biblically, love is not a feeling. Biblically, love is an action. It's an expression of commitment. It's an expression of faithfulness. It's not a feeling. Biblically, the Bible has other words for love that mean feeling, but the word for God, God is agape, is an action word. It has nothing to do with feelings. It's actions that he makes to you. Can I say something to you? Biblically, I don't have to like you to love you. You got that? Biblically, I don't have to like you to love you. I can act in loving ways. Because how am I supposed to love my neighbor? Because I'll be quite honest with you, I don't like some of my neighbors. Now, some of you are too sanctified to admit that yourself. But I don't like some of my neighbors, but I can still love them. I can still act in loving ways. I can act in a biblical loving way to them. It's hard in today's society to talk about the love of God. Because people do not understand the biblical connotation of the word love. Some people that God is only, only love. For some people that, uh, you know, God is, you know, he's a, he's a Baptist God. Or Nazarene God. Some, for some people, God only reads the King James Version of the Bible. How terrible image you have made of God. How terribly you have reduced him. When you think that God is KJV only, 1611. You've read it on the signs, haven't you? What, you? what have they done? They've created an image out of God. 
They have reimagined God. They don't, they don't know they are, but they've reimagined God. Some people think God is a Nazarene. Some people think he's a Baptist. Some people think he's a Presbyterian. A lot of people think he's a Church of Christ. How narrow you make God when you redefine him in such a way. One, one good choice that you can make in the future is, is don't create him in your own image. He has created, if you let me use that word, which is not a good word when you talk about God. He has defined himself. And I have one goal in life is to worship the one who has defined himself. Do you know something? Some people think God only likes a certain type of worship music. <laughs> now, people only like a certain type of worship music. But only a certain type of worship music that pleases God? is a, He likes a certain type of worship music? Some people think God is male. <laughs> not male he's chosen to reveal himself as male God is beyond gender don't reduce him to think he's a male don't reduce him to horrible sin God is above gender beyond gender now there's lots of reasons he chose to reveal himself as male in the type of society that he was trying to reach here God's not a male. Well, God, my God, oh, be careful, be careful. Well, my God, no, take the my out of it. God. This is about God. It's not about your God. It's about the God who has revealed himself to us. Because God values his reputation, we should not carry his name in a careless way, third commandment. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, older translations. Go look it up if you want to. Take is just as easy, carry, and it changes the understanding. Take could be bear like this load that I bear. Do not bear the Lord's name in vain. Vain means an empty, worthless way. God values his reputation. It is so, so, so little about cussing. Now, I don't think you should say, oh, my God. I don't think you should do that. I try not to do that. If I, and, if, and, if, and if I do that, I stop myself short on that. I try anyway. My mom wouldn't let me say gosh because she says gosh is just a substitute for God. You know, she's right. Old people are silly, aren't they? Don't you mean that? Don't take the name of the Lord God. You know, I don't think we should go around saying GD or JC, even though somehow when people use Jesus Christ's name in a, in a cursing way, somehow they even elevate the name. Because I've never heard anybody say, Buddha! <laughs> Muhammad! Well, they use a name that's above every name. 
And so there maybe there's a little bit in this, but this commandment is about not doing religious things and Christian things for evil intent and somehow attaching God's name to that. This is about me being a person of God and, and claiming his name, yet I don't act like it. Can I tell you something? I heard somebody the other day say, Donald Trump is God's chosen. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're all are rolling in the floor right now. As someone who will vote for Trump if he gets the nomination, I hope you're rolling in the floor laughing. Be careful what you attach God's name to. It's a terrible, terrible sin to take his name in an empty, vain way. Ezekiel chapter 36, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. Therefore say this to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign God says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, my holy reputation, for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. What does profane mean? It means two words. One of them's out, the other's temple. You have used it in an out of the holy temple type of way. You have profaned my name among the nations. You profaned them among all the nations that you've gone. You've ruined my reputation. You made them think that I am some other God that I actually am. I will show the holiness of my great name which you have profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord when I am proved holy through you in their eyes. Wow. Amos chapter 2 verse 7. The prophet Amos says, they, they trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. Huh. I remember I was a young kid and trying to learn how to become a basketball coach and Coach Hall at UK gave me an opportunity to learn. And one of the first games of the year, something like that, we were playing some podunk team, and we were up by 30, and so the last three or four minutes he put all the scrubs in. And that 30-point lead went down to about 12. We won by 12. Coach Hall was fuming. And he went up to Chuck Alexander, foot eleven kid, softer than a baby's butt. And, and he... It, he went up to that kid and says, what name is on that jersey? He says, what's he saying? He said, you play for University of Kentucky, man. It means something. Go play like it. You're not at some podunk Connecticut high school anymore. 
What did my dad tell me often when I was going out for the night? Remember who you are. Remember who you are. That's the third commandment. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Why? He'll just forgive us. I got this really cool relationship with going on with God. My job is to sin, and his job is to forgive. It's really cool. They've, re- they've reinvented a God. They've reimagined a God. They've created a God in their own image. They've redefined and they have reduced him. Thomas Watson's a Puritan from the 18th century and Watson writes about the third commandment. He writes, when we profess his name, we do not live consistently as his follower. When we worship him with our lips, but do not but not with our hearts when we pray to him, but do not believe in him. Yeah, I don't think God wants you to use his name in a cursing way. Yeah, but that's just a smidgen of what the third commandment's about. It's about his reputation. I carry his name, and because I carry his name, It should have everything to do with the way I walk and the way I talk. And if I don't understand that, I've redefined God, created him in my own image, reimagined him, reduced him. Goes on every day, every day. we got gay people being married. They are redefining God. They're reimagining God. They're creating a God in their own image and not the one who has chosen how he will be worshipped. Fifth commandment says that we should Because God values authority in our life, we should honor the first authority in our lives. Our parents. What's the word honor means? Look it up. Hebrew, interlinear, look it up. It means to make heavy. That we should make our parents' name heavy. Honor your father and your mother. Interesting what it says. It doesn't say love your mom and dad. Now, I guess I hope you do. But biblically, it says to make them heavy in your life. Make their influence great in your life. They should carry weight in your life. It doesn't say love them. Whatever love means. Love is a weird word, isn't it? Gosh. Uh, I, I, I promise to love you, and they're divorced in two years. 
honor your father and mother. I'm talking to some people who's, I was, I was blessed. Call it privilege if you want to. We hear a lot about the word privilege. Yeah, I was privileged. I had a great mom and dad. I was privileged. More privileged than a lot of you who's your mom and dad weren't, weren't that great. Some of you understand what I, what I say when, when I'm saying that I was privileged to have the parents that I did. Absolutely privileged. Had a, had a leg up in life because of the parents that I had. Some of you didn't have those. I know that. I know that. So what should you do? Honor them. They gave you birth. But I don't feel like it. I don't care what you feel like. This verse is not about feelings. It's about honoring, making heavy. Well, you don't know what they've done to me, Mark. I I don't, and I'm really glad that I don't because it would make me mad probably. You know, one unbelievable way to make your parents heavy in your life is to forgive them. The older we get, the more we know that our parents were very human. And they did good things, and they did some not-so-good things. Just like us. And I don't see any way that I can honor my father and mother, who did not act in an honorable way to me unless I forgive them. Unless I forgive them. Now, moms and dads, you can make it easier on your, guy, on your kids to honor you, can't you? By things you say and things you don't say. By, by living your life by the best that you can, by the grace God gives you, empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live an honor-worthy life. Of course, you can make it easy on your kids to honor you. Or easier. But for those parents that have messed up, and, and, and if you're a parent that won't stand in a line behind me of all the parents that have messed up, you're clueless. But for all of the parents that have messed up, let's honor them by forgiving them. Five or six years ago, I preached a message series called Get Over It. And I know things are not easy to get over. I know that. There's, there's, some of you have been through horrible things that I can't even imagine. But you know what? You've got to start the process of getting over it. You may not get over it quickly, but you need to start and walk the process of forgiveness. If you're going to value what God values, and God values the family as the cornerstone of this world, and because it's the cornerstone and the foundation of this world, you need to honor the authority in your home. As a young kid, it's obey. As a young adult, it's respect. As an older adult, it's appreciate 
and care for them. It changes. When they're a little kid, they just obey. Why do I got to do that? Because daddy said so. Well, why can't you explain it to me? Because you ain't smart enough to figure it out yet. You just obey. You just obey. And you get to be a young adult and you respect. You're starting to think a little differently than your mom and dad does. You're starting to think for yourself. But I still respect. That's how honor happens. And when you're older and you're an adult and you can see clearly into your mom and dad's life and you see them as fragile human beings just like you were, you appreciate them and what they did for you and you care for them. They brought you into this world. They gave you a, a house with a roof over it. They fed you meals. You appreciate them even though they probably weren't the best parents in the world. It's how you obey the fifth commandment. It's how you value what God values. Tim Keller is one of the, Tim has died now, but I I like to listen to him preach a lot. And Tim Keller said, it's respect for your parents that is basis for every other kind of respect and every other kind of authority. I I wonder how many yahoos we have out in the world one day that are being yahoos because they did not learn about authority in the home. How many kids are out in the world today that, that are causing all kinds of problems because they, they and the, you know what I get mad when I look on Facebook and I see police pull somebody over from speeding and this person that was speeding starts spouting off. You know, my dad told me when police pull you over, yes, sir. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. I've gotten out a lot of tickets that way. There is no respect for authority. And I wonder, did they understand authority in their own home? I just wonder. Hear me again. When you're young, it's obey. When you're a young adult, it's respect. When you're an older adult, it's appreciate and care for. Somebody came up to me just after this first service and said, can I come talk to you? I'm just, my mom and dad need a lot of care. And I'm really struggling to be able to give the effort on all of that. It's hard, isn't it? She has one sibling who's got downs. But what does it mean to honor when they're aging? It means to appreciate and care the very best you can. Even though their mind is not there anymore. I've been through it, friends. I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is when, you, when you're, you're, your mother uh, is, is says something mean to you and you just have to sit there and take it because her demented mind. But I'm called to make her heavy, or I was called when she was alive. Called to make her heavy in my life. And you're called to make your parents heavy. If you do, you're valuing what God values. So as I'm done now, I will remind you that that first commandment I said was the hardest one to keep because it's about priorities. Because it's about priorities. And the priorities, if you're here today and you're just kind of investigating this Christian life and you don't know 
what it's about or not. What do you need to do? You need to do the very first priority. You know what you don't need to do? You don't need to go out and, and clean your life up. You don't need to go out and stop drinking or cussing or chewing. You don't need to do that. You need to first accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and let him work on all of those problems. If, if, if you start trying to clean your life up better, you're relying on your merit, not all of his sufficient merit. It starts at the cross. It starts at the cross. And that's why every Sunday we finish with communion. Every single Sunday. Because that's where it starts, of getting your priorities straight, of worshiping God and not worshiping any, any others. Because God has chosen to be worshipped through the person of Jesus Christ. And the very best thing you can be able to do today is to be able to say, I'm a sinner. The world laughs at that. I'm a sinner, and I'm lost without Christ. And I accept his merit and not my own. And watch Jesus start to change your life. Our servers are coming to the table. When we take communion, we're reminded about keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's one of the reasons we do it. Because the main thing is not being a good parent. The main thing is not being a good parent. The main thing is being a Christian and let God through his Holy Spirit and through his grace make you a good parent. If you're just trying to be a good parent, it's your own merit you're relying on. Any merit that you have comes from your relationship with Jesus, which starts at the cross. Father, for those in this room that really don't get this, I pray somehow you can make it clear to them that they have no merit of their own. And the only merit they have when they stand before a holy God is the merit of Jesus Christ and their acceptance of what Jesus has done for them. If there's, anyone, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't understand it, may they get it nailed down today. If there's anyone that's watching on YouTube or Facebook that doesn't understand that, may they get that nailed down today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.